Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 31 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I could not be more excited to continue talking to you guys about uh, personal finance topics and different things that are relating to your own personal life when it comes to your finances. Today, we are going to cover something uh, that is really exciting to me and that um, should also be very exciting to you because it is going to have a profound effect on your ability to build wealth long term, and that is what are stocks? Because this week we're going to really be talking about what are things that we can invest in. We've talked about types of accounts that we can invest in, but this week we're really going to focus on what are the things within those accounts that are going to allow us to build long-term wealth. And so today our focus is going to be on stocks and everything uh, surrounding that particular topic. And I couldn't be more excited to jump into that today with you. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, uh, click the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments as we go. That way uh, I can get back with you and, and give you any thoughts that, that I may have or, or answer any questions that you have moving forward. Also, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on uh, Apple or Spotify podcasts if you're not doing so already and you would like to just listen to it, uh, you can do so there. Uh, also, follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. I put a lot of little helpful tips and tidbits out there that could be really useful to you, so you can check that out. And then also, uh, if you are interested in financial coaching uh, and working face-to-face one-on-one with me, then um, you can check out the website, www.mnowithdylan.com, and all of that information is there. So let's dive into today's topic. So at the simplest form, and most people don't know this, what are stocks? Well, if you buy a stock, what you are is you are an owner of a particular company. So if you buy stock in, say, Apple, well, you are a part owner of Apple upon your ownership of that stock. So they are pieces of fractional ownership of companies. And at any given point in time, you are not owed anything by the company beyond the market value of that particular amount of shares or share uh, that you purchase. So that proportional ownership, that is how much you are owed by the company at any given point in time. And so what this does is this entitles you to a portion of the firm's assets and profits. So the value of a firm is going to be determined by both assets and future cash flows and future profits. And so you as an owner are entitled to a piece of those assets and profits. And so you are going to make money. The, the value of your shares are going to increase when the value of the firm's assets go up and when the profits increase. And then naturally, if the value of the assets decreases or the profits decrease, uh, then you will see a proportional decline uh, in the ownership in the shares uh, that you own of the company. And from those profits, uh, you may actually get a direct distribution. You may get a direct uh, amount of money from the profits of the firm in a, in a way that is called dividends. Uh, dividends are direct payments from the firm to the investors. So as an owner, you may get some amount from the firm directly in cash. Sometimes they pay dividends 
uh, in stock and they may actually do what's called share buybacks to where the value of your shares increase because they buy some shares off of the market. So the less shares out there, the higher the value of one share is. And so those are ways that you can get uh, increases in your own capital from the company making distributions of their funds directly or indirectly in the case of share repurchases. Now, pretty obviously, what this is going to mean is individuals who have the highest proportion of ownership of shares are going to have the most influence on the firms. And in many cases, that that is the, the officers of the firm. So the CEOs, the CFOs, uh, those who actually are running the company day to day and or those who founded the company. So like Bill Gates still holds a large amount of uh, Microsoft stock because he was the founder of Microsoft. And so you see how those who hold the most of the firm, uh, they can have a, a very heavy influence because uh, as, as an owner of anything, like as, as an owner of a home, uh, you make the decisions about what you do to your home. Or uh, as the owner of a car, you make the decision of the things that you do to your car. And the same works with a company. It's just split up into a bunch of different pieces. And the reason that some firms have stock, shares outstanding, and the, some, and the reason that some firms do not is because it is a particular way that firms raise money to fund their operations. And so what do I mean by this? Well, if I am a particular firm and I want to raise money to do something, well, the way that I can do that is threefold. I can either take money that I already have, so I can take from what they call retained earnings, which is just old profits that I have laying around. So I can take from that and I can pay for whatever it may be. I can raise debt so I can you know, get a loan or uh, issue bonds, which we're going to talk about tomorrow, uh, in order to uh, fund those operations. Uh, or I can sell shares of stock. And what that does is it says, okay, let's say just one individual owns the entire company. Well, if they decide that they want to fund operations by selling shares of stock, then they are selling their ownership in the firm for some value, for some amount. And so when the firm receives that money, they give up ownership in uh, direct proportion to the amount of money that they receive. And so, you see that firms are selling shares of stock, not just so people can own a piece of the firm. They do so so they can receive the benefits of having uh, outside ownership and the, the benefits of being able to raise funds from other places. And when you are buying shares of stock, you're typically not doing it uh, I would say none of us are doing it directly from the company. What happens is, is the company sells it to a bunch of uh, large investors and large entities and banks and investment banks and uh, all of these uh, mutual fund companies and things like that, all these entities. And those entities then sell them to the public uh, via the what they call the secondary market. The primary market is when uh, the firm is selling it to investors. And the secondary market is when investors are trading the shares back and forth. And that is where we are operating. We, we're not giving the firm money directly. The firm is receiving funds from those entities that I just spoke of. And there are two typical types of shares or stock that you can purchase. One and the most common is called common stock. Common shares entitle the owners, entitled the individuals who buy the shares, uh, 
to a piece of the profits and the assets of the firm proportional to the amount of the firm that they own. And uh, this is just what we talked about a moment ago. These individuals can also receive dividends from the firm if the firm so chooses to pay them. And these are just the type of shareholders that most of us are. When most of us talk about buying shares of stock in a company, we are common shareholders. We are common stockholders. And so, so that's the, the most common type. Then there's also preferred shares, preferred stock. And preferred stock, they don't have any voting rights. So the common shares have voting rights where they can actually vote on what happens within the company and, and the operations of the company. The, the preferred shareholders do not have voting rights, but they have first dibs when it comes to the earnings and the dividends uh, that the company pays out. They, they are going to receive dividends before common shareholders, and they're going to receive any kind of payout if there is a bankruptcy or anything like that uh, before a common shareholder will. And these particular shares are not known for their increase in value, but for the dividends that they receive. They typically receive higher percentage dividends. Uh, and the reason that this is the case is because the even though the firm is giving up some type of ownership, uh, that is not a shareholder that they have to necessarily answer to when it comes to their ability to vote and their ability to make decisions. So since they don't give them that right to vote, they give them this other incentive in the way of uh, dividends. And so the, the thought about preferred stock is, is really kind of an in-between between, between uh, common shares and debt. And, and like I said, we'll talk about debt and bonds tomorrow, um, but it's just a, it's just a good, good idea to, to know what preferred shares are. That way, when we may bring it up later in, in the future or something like that, um, you'll understand them. But our focus is going to be on common shares and common shareholders because that's what most individuals are. And so stock in general, on average, has been the best performing asset class historically. And let me read off a few numbers for you. So using the 87 year period from 1928 to 2015, the S&P 500, which we've talked about before, is an index that tracks the U.S. large companies, right? Uh, the S&P 500 returned an average of 9.5% per year, okay? And this compares favorably to the 3.5% return of three-month treasury bills, uh, which is just short-term government debt and is things that uh, a lot of individuals purchase and, and have in, in their portfolio in some way, shape, or form, but it's, it's just, it's more of a short-term reserve and a cash equivalent there. Uh, so it compares favorably to that 3.5% return and to the 5% return of 10-year treasury notes, so more intermediate-term uh, bonds and fixed income. And so this is the, the common comparison made is with the 10-year treasury note. Don't ask me why, we're not going to get into that too much today, but that's the common comparison, and you see how it has historically outmatched uh, that particular security. And when you take stocks and you kind of break it down a little further as to what their returns have been, emerging markets have some of the highest returns. So emerging markets are these uh, countries and these places that are not in the um, developed economies and developed world. So these emerging markets have some of the highest return potential in equity markets, but they also have the highest risk. And so that's where uh, we talk about risk return relationship like we did previously. Uh, and, and it makes a little more sense um, why you're going to make more return in that place. Then also short-term fluctuations 
in that asset class in emerging markets can be significant. But this class, the emerging market stocks, uh, has historically earned 12 to 13% average annual returns, which is awesome. That's, that's an awesome average return. And another group that has delivered above average returns are small cap stocks. Historically, small cap stocks have outweighed uh, and outreturned the large cap stocks, so the S&P 500 stocks. So you see that, that the more risk you take, the more return you can make, but these are the securities that have returned the most over the long term, and that's important to note. So if we were to look at the last 50 full years, and you look at S&P 500 returns because that is the most common index to follow. If you look at those returns over the last 50 full years, so from 1970 to the end of 2019, what you'll find is this. The S&P 500 has a 7.39% what we call capital gains return. And what that means is, is that the price, the value of the S&P 500 has increased by 7.39% annually. But the total return has been 10.53%. And you may say, well, how is that so? How is there such a disparity between the amount the price increased and the total return? Well, we just talked about how uh, common shareholders can receive dividends. And when they receive these dividends, you can typically either take them and use them for whatever you may like. Um, and there are typically tax implications of doing so or you can reinvest those dividends into whatever it is. And so the best idea long-term is to reinvest your dividends. So if you were to have reinvested dividends over that 50-year period, the total return would have been 10.53% uh, for that individual, which is an amazing uh, average annual return to make uh, at any point in time, much less over a 50-year period. And you may ask yourself, well, can I earn more than these S&P 500 stocks? Can I earn more than this index? Well, not a lot of individuals have. And the, the long-term data shows is that most individuals who try to beat the market don't in their net returns because either their costs of investing are far too high or they're taking a lot of unnecessary risk and it bites them in the tail uh, or, or something along those lines where uh, they're, they're just not able to, to keep up. And, and it's just so difficult to keep costs low and try to beat uh, this index that that has extremely low costs in and of itself if you want to purchase it as an ETF or mutual fund. And so beating the S&P 500 is extremely difficult. And the only way that individuals have historically done it is they find value uh, where there is value. So when I say value is, you know, something is currently marketed or, or trading for less than what it's actually worth and they're able to pick those things in a timely manner in order to uh, create value in their portfolio. And, and it requires a long-term viewpoint, no doubt. Um, but when individuals wait a long time for returns, they, they say um, a lot of times being early is the same as being wrong. So even though somebody may find value somewhere, doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna be able to beat the market. Uh, because they may be early towards finding that value and the market value hasn't hasn't caught up yet. And so it, it's so hard to beat the S&P 500. It's so hard to beat the market indexes. Individuals can do it. 
but it, it's just so, so, so difficult. That's why a majority of people's funds are held in index funds and held in, in funds like the S&P 500 mutual funds and ETFs. And when it comes down to it, it may not be the best idea to try to beat the market long-term, especially for most of us who, who may not have a lot of experience investing or you know, may want to spend our time doing other things than focusing on the things that we're invested in. We may want a more what they call passive strategy, even though no investing is passive, you need to be hands-on. Um, but in order to have a little bit more of a passive uh, investment strategy, it may just be better to put your money in index funds and, and things that are going to track with the market, uh, whether it be the stock market, the bond market, whatever it may be uh, that is best for you. Uh, but it, it may be best to do so, especially with uh, stock index funds, because the equity premium, we call it, which is uh, the difference between the uh, returns on stocks long term uh, versus the the returns on treasury bills or the risk-free asset long term uh, has been so crazy high uh, that asset class just beats all the others and it's so amazing what time can allow that equity premium to do in your portfolio if you are invested in the right things so you may say okay stocks I, i'm getting a, a good idea of what they are and the returns they've had but can you trust the stock market? I mean, Dylan, hasn't it crashed many times? Hasn't there been, you know, the Great Depression? Hasn't there been Black Monday in 1987? Hasn't there been uh, the tech bubble uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s? Hasn't there been uh, the Great Recession? Hasn't there been uh, the coronavirus crash that we just saw? Have, haven't all these things happened and people lost great sums of money? Well, yes, the market crashes from time to time, but the crashes are overreactions, just like there are upward overreactions. But what we wanna do is we wanna get the long-term averages. We want to get the long-term average returns. Listen, I, I am not you know pulling any punches when it comes to say that watching your money cascade downward in value day after day stinks. I get it, it does. But my recent experience is during the coronavirus crash, what we saw was the market fell over 30%. And uh, it's no fun to see the value of my money fall over 30%. But did I sell anything? Did I pull any of my money out? No, and guess what? Today, I have more money than I had prior to the market falling at all from its all-time highs. And so you have to stay the course with a long-term horizon in order to deal well with the stock market. A good way to think about this is, is the following. The S&P 500, especially if you're owning an index fund or, or some uh, fund that is uh, heavily weighed by these, these larger companies, you have to think about this. Do you think that Amazon is going to go out of business anytime soon? Do you think Apple's going to go out of business? Or what about Walmart? Or what about Home Depot? Or what about any of these large companies that have been around for long periods of time that you know really dominate our lives, that, that they are everywhere? Are they going to go out of business? Maybe some of them, but there's no way all of them will because if all of them did, then our economic system in the way that it is set up will be gone anyway. Money will not matter. And so trusting that the stock market is going to do what it is going to do uh, is not just a matter of gambling or blind faith. It is a matter of looking at the, at the statistics and saying, okay, long-term, these things are going to increase in value. And that's what we want. So what we want to do is we want to own 
a diversified group, we've talked about diversification, of quality value companies, right? And that can be done through an index fund or the S&P 500 index or any index that is similar to that. And you can own this group of diversified quality firms that will increase in value over the long term. And the bad ones will get driven out of the index and the ones that go bankrupt will get driven out of the index and will get replaced with quality firms that are going to increase in value over the long term. And that right there is where your money is made. That's where the value is. And you can make a lot of return, a lot of money over the long term. And let me hit you with this real quick. If you're worried about, okay, bear markets or you're worried about crashes, let me read you this. And, and this comes straight from uh, First Trust, uh, which is a, a company who puts out uh, different promotional materials and, and they also have their own line of uh, investment products. But uh, this is something that they put out that I, think, that I think is really interesting. So this goes from the beginning of 1926 to March of 2020. And the average bull market period, so a bull market uh, is the market going up over a long period of time, right? So the average bull market period lasted 6.6 .6 years. Okay, so that's a reasonable amount of time with an average cumulative total return. So if you added up all the return, the cumulative total return was 339%. So write that down or, or keep that in your mind, okay? Then the average bear market. Now the bear market is when there has been a market drop of at least 20%. So if the market drops at least 20% and stays below uh, the all-time highs, so th that would be considered a bear market. Well, the average bear market has only lasted 1.3 years versus the 6.6 .6 on the bull market side, and the average cumulative loss on the bear market is 36% loss. And that's up against the 339% cumulative total return uh, on the bull market. So this just tells you why it's so illogical to pull your money out when the market has dropped because any returns that you miss on the upside are really, really going to hurt you. So you need to be able to get those returns of the bull market. And the only way you do that is being able to ride out those times of difficulty in the stock market. Then also let's look at some rolling returns. And so what I mean is uh, if I look at five-year rolling periods, so that would be like... Uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. That's a five-year period, right? Well, then a rolling five-year period, the next one would be 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5. And it would continue like that, you know, increasing by a year each time. So let's look at rolling periods. So the worst 10-year rolling return of the S&P 500, so at any 10-year period, was negative 4% annually. That's not that bad. That is not the, the worst uh, thing that you could think of, to be completely honest. But the average 10-year rolling return is 9.2% annually. And that's, that's awesome. We, we want uh, to, to take advantage of that average rolling return. And, and that's, that's what we've seen historically. And so that's what we need to do. That's the historical returns we need to rely on, not uh, the short-term blips that scare everyone. So how can I make sure that I am benefiting from the ownership of stocks? So there, there's two major ways, okay? And uh, the first one is going to apply to most of us, and the second one will apply to the few, uh, but I do want to address it. The first is own mutual funds or ETFs, own index funds, own these funds that hold diversified groups of good quality companies that are going to increase in value over time. And 
continue putting money in them over the long term and you will get the capital appreciation, which is the increase in price, and you will get the uh, dividends or the distributions off of those funds and continue to reinvest them and you will get the returns that you're looking for. And regardless on if you take on this second um, recommendation of benefiting from stocks or not, uh, most of your money should fall into uh, funds, uh, mutual funds, ETFs, things like that, uh, just for the ease of diversification and the long-term returns that not are guaranteed because they're not guaranteed, but that you can historically look and go, yeah, that thing has earned a lot of money over the long term. Then the second idea is, well, pick good value stocks for yourself. Now, most people, I want you to completely tune this out because there, there are several reasons. One, maybe you don't have the best understanding of uh, investments or finance yet, and, and that's fine. I, I don't want you to listen to this. Uh, maybe you don't have the time to, to do the homework and to look into firms and stuff like this. Maybe the short-term volatility of picking individual stocks is too much for you, then don't do it. Don't do this, okay? But if you have time, if you have the ability, if you have the knowledge, uh, and you think that this is something that you can stomach, uh, then it is a reasonable choice as to how to go about benefiting from stocks long-term. So what I mean here is picking companies out that at any given time are, are trading for less or their market value is less than uh, what you perceive their intrinsic value or their actual uh, firm value to be. That way you can buy them at a price that is lower than what their price should be long term. And we also want to look at these companies who return capital to shareholders. That's such a big deal. Warren Buffett talks about it a lot. We want firms who pay dividends so we can reinvest them. We want firms who buy back stock. That way it's, it does the same thing as reinvesting dividends and increases uh, the value of, of what we're holding. And that way we are getting those extra returns. Because like I said earlier, the, the S&P 500 long-term has had that 7.39% capital gains return, uh, but the total return was over 10.5% because the companies in the S&P 500 are returning capital to shareholders. And so that's what you want to see when you're picking out these stocks for yourself. But two things that you have to make sure you do if you are picking individual stocks, okay? Two things you wanna do is do your homework. Make sure you know what the heck you're investing in because I don't wanna tell you to do this and then you go out and buy something stupid and ask me why it didn't go up in value. Understand what you're investing in. Make sure that you understand how to read financial statements. Make sure you understand what a firm does and how they're gonna make money and how they're going to increase in value over time. Those are companies you should invest in. Don't invest in things that you don't understand. Then don't let your emotions get out of control. I've bought stocks that have, it, almost exactly after I bought them, declined in value heavily. And that hurts. But if I know that I bought something of quality and I look back at the financial statements and I look back at what the firm does and I know that that firm is worth far more than what it fell to or even more than what it fell from, uh, then I know that I made a good investment and I hold on to it. So you can't let your emotions get the best of you. Now, sometimes things fall for a reason. And if you're doing your homework and you realize that there's a material change, a real change in what is going on within the firm, then you may need to cut ties. Um, but like I said a moment ago, this is not for everyone. I want most of everyone's money uh, in some kind of mutual fund or ETF or something like that that's going to give you broad diversification and allow you to uh, increase the value of your holdings over the long period of time without having to do too much stressing 
or uh, too much homework or worrying about controlling your emotions, even though there is some of that, even with fund investing, it is magnified a hundredfold when it comes to picking individual stocks. So these are ways you can benefit from stocks. You absolutely should. If this is the highest returning asset class, you need to be taking advantage of it. And if you don't, it's, it's foolish. It has historically been a foolish thing to do to not invest in stocks in some way, shape or form. So anything that you're investing in, whether it be retirement, whether it be um, the kids college fund, whether it be any, any type of account that you have, uh, that you have at least, you know, five, 10, 15, at least five years, but anything longer than that five year period, you should be investing at least some portion of it uh, in stocks because you can't afford to give up those returns. We talked about the rolling returns earlier. That 9.2% 10-year average as far as annual 9.2%, I mean, that's so powerful and so important and so hard to be giving up uh, over and over and over again because you can't uh, understand or you can't deal well uh, with the volatility of the stock market. Don't be looking at your holdings every day. It will give you a headache. It will frustrate you. Just know that the things that you chose to invest in at a particular point in time, you did so with a particular reason and a particular basis. Make sure that that basis still holds, that the, the reason that you invested in something still holds and allow it to grow over time because long-term, a diversified group of value stocks will do that for you. Uh, so that's what I hope for all of you guys, that you do benefit uh, from the stock market, that you don't let it scare you away, and that you understand after this video what a stock is and how you can use it to build your long-term wealth. So hey, I appreciate all of you guys watching this video. This has been uh, a really exciting one for me and something that uh, I'm really passionate about. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Don't forget to like this video. Don't forget to leave me any comments or any questions that you have about stocks or about uh, your, your own uh, journey investing in, in stocks. Maybe there's something that, that you have, some anecdote that, that will be um, you know, helpful to me, helpful for, for me to learn and that we can talk about a little bit. Um, also, if you want to, if you're not already, go ahead and subscribe uh, to the podcast on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Uh, you can do it in either spot. Follow me on social media. I put out a lot of really good stuff there at MNO with Dylan. Um, and I'm putting out stuff every day. So you can, you can check that out. Also, uh, if you want to go through some financial coaching and you need help getting your finances on track, get with me. And the way you can do that is through my website, www.mnowithdylan.com. Uh, and we can, we can work together and, and build a plan for your finances. And check out tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about investing in bonds. So today we talked about investing in stocks. The next biggest thing that most people invest in are bonds. So we'll, we'll talk about that in tomorrow's video. And then look out on the weekend, I'm putting out these clips, I'm calling them MNO, money's no object, clips. And uh, maybe you can get a little bit from those. And, and that's something from each of the videos throughout the week. And, and it's what I think is the meat of the video and what's gonna help you the most. So if you wanna watch something a little shorter than the entire show, a little less detailed, then uh, you can check out those. And, and hopefully those will draw you back to these longer videos uh, that have more detail and maybe can help you out a little more. So hey, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Money's No Object. I am your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.